Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday from awesomeo.com. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little rattled from this music. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to whoever pulled these shenanigans. Christmas feeling around here, but this is championship weekend. This is the college football DFS and betting show. Myself, Ben Razik, here with the man himself, Matt Kajeski. We have made it, sir, all the way to the final week of the regular season, I guess you can call it. Are you excited for what is a great, great day of college football? Yeah, man, my Irish playing Clemson, very excited for that. A little bit sad that Coastal Carolina's game got canceled and they were egregiously labeled co-champions, but that's that's not on the docket today. I am very excited for the current slate of games. Yeah, you should be, you should be, well, even though I like Coastal, I Louisiana Lafayette doesn't mess around. That could have derailed uh themselves the undefeated season. You shouldn't be excited for Notre Dame, obviously. We're going to have some time, though, because we only have nine games, and and that's nice. We're going to dig into some things. Chat, I see you. What's going on, everybody? Uh, I do want to talk a little playoffs with you as well and get your thoughts on who's in, who's out. I don't think there's going to be too much drama. Uh, But before we dive in, I do want to ask, are you a fan of that Christmas music intro? I didn't ask you. Uh, no, not particularly. So you get you get two thumbs down. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, oh wow, no respect behind the glass. But that's what we do around here, and we get appreciate together, it. Let's Jordan. get into it, chat. You guys know the drill. We're gonna be talking about a lot of things here. We're gonna start though. There's a lot of makeup games on the slate, so it's not just these championship games. And that's where we begin. We get Texas A&M and Tennessee. It's certainly a game that has some importance. A&M is around a two touchdown favorite. I see thirteen and a half over under a fifty one. Uh, and we'll start with them. Technically, they're alive. Uh, only the lone loss to Bama, Kellen Mond and co. They get a volunteers team that's not good. You've got Spiller, certainly an appealing 7.1. Where do you go with this Aggies team? Yeah, I think their only shot at the college football playoff is a Notre Dame win. And then if they just absolutely blow the doors off Tennessee, which which could happen. But my concerns are we're dealing with two Fairly slow teams overall. Neither of them are above 72 plays per game. They don't run exactly exciting offenses. So as far as like the college football playoff goes, I wish Texas A&M was a little more alive, but I think outside of a Clemson loss and they go, you know, the two losses then to Notre Dame, I don't think Texas A&M really has a shot at the playoff. As far as DFS goes, you and I've talked a lot about Mon's usage this year, how it's really changed. 
he still is a good dual threat. He's very efficient on the ground. He has 199 cumulative yards, but he's just not being used in that fashion. He does have at least six carries in each of his last four games, but that's still not really enough to realize his upside on the ground. And then as a passer, he's just moderate as far as efficiency goes, just 221 yards per game, and that's on 30 attempts. So I don't think you're really seeing a ceiling from Mond. Yeah, it's been like that all year, and he's gotten the job done. Uh, They had a slow start, but he's found his groove, and it's still a little tough. Now, he did have uh, early in the year, big Chapman goes down. That certainly doesn't help. They've got some guys on the outside, the tight end, and then obviously they put him as a running back, but Aeneas Smith is you know, certainly a gadget player and he's going to catch some balls. He's 6,200. You look on the outside, you've got guys like Lane Wordemeyer. Is there anyone that stands out or is your favorite target on A&M actually Spiller in the backfield? It's going to be Spiller. I mean, they're near two touchdown favorites against Tennessee. Tennessee's defense is, it's fairly good. They're not a strong matchup or a weak matchup. They're just kind of middling there. So I think Spiller is a good play. He's had at least 18 carries in over 20 touches in his last four games pretty easily too. As far as the pass catchers, the only one who's kind of egregiously priced is Hezekiah Jones. He was injured for a majority of the season, but he's come back. His targets have been a little volatile. If you just look at the last four games, he's gone eight, three, eight, and three. So if this game is a little more competitive and you think Texas A&M throws a little more than normal, Hezekiah Jones stands out as a price adjusted play. I think Weidermeyer, Smith, and Lane are all appropriately priced. On the other, and yeah, you mentioned, obviously, they should control this game on the ground. The total is just 51. It's not exactly uh, the recipe for big-time output, to be honest. On the other side, Tennessee, like I said, I, I can't even keep it straight who they're using at quarterback these days. They're not expected to put up a lot of points. They've got the dual backs. What do you do with the Volunteers team that obviously could struggle today? I think Harrison Bailey is getting more security at the quarterback position. He played 52 snaps last week compared to 19 for JT Shrout and Bailey played reasonably well. He completed 14 of 18 passes, 207 yards and a pair of scores. He didn't throw it particularly well downfield, but anytime you're completing over 60% of your passes, no interceptions and a pair of scores, that's pretty good for a Tennessee signal caller considering what they've been doing the last couple of years. Bailey doesn't give you anything with his legs. So it's going to be entirely reliant on him as a passer. Texas A&M's defense has been the strength of their team this year. So I'm not sure even at 5,100, this is a spot to try to target a Tennessee signal caller. Yeah. I mean, he did look good last week, but it was against Vanderbilt and that can be uh, problematic. Now, who the hell is Velas Jones? Uh, Cause talk about looking good seven for buck 25 and two last week. He also scored against Florida I mean, I don't know exactly. You obviously are more in touch in stuff like this than me. Did did something pop up or did they just decide to give this guy a shot late in the year? Because he was a non-factor for the first like eight or nine games. Yeah, so he is a transfer from USC. Yep. And I'm not sure why he wasn't being used in the year. They they were running a rotation at wide receiver early. And then for whatever reason, he was phased out of it. But they recently had Brandon Johnson enter the transfer portal. And he'd been playing a lot of snaps for them. And Vilas just kind of ends up on the field out of necessity. And it turns out he's pretty good. He should have been playing a lot earlier in the year than he was. At 4,800, I'm still not sure you want to target a Tennessee player really whatsoever. Their implied team total is below 20. So it's just a situation where with a 52 total overall in the game, a 19 implied team total for Tennessee, I'm not sure I really want to get to a lot of these guys. Maybe as a one-off play, but probably not much considering the value we do have. 
Do you feel the same way about the backfield when you look at Gray and Chandler? Uh, $2,000 difference in terms of price between them. Would you rather pay down? Would you rather go to neither? I probably would say neither, just considering they're significant underdogs, low implied team total, and they do split the work. It's a little closer than what their recent weeks have shown to, at least in their last couple games, Gray 11 and 14 carries Chandler 12 and nine. Prior to that, Gray looked like he had kind of worked his way out of the timeshare, but Chandler popped back up. Fair enough. I, you have any feel on the betting side of this? Cause like I said, we're going to go through everything. We've got that ability today. Seals about right. Total seems right. I think A&M should be about a two touchdown favorite. That's not exactly screaming any uh, play for me. Yeah. I'm not betting this game. And I know we're going to talk about this again, so you're going to hear me say it twice, and you already alluded to it. Do you think if Clemson loses, it's as simple as Texas A&M wins and they're in? Not exactly. I think Texas A&M would need to beat Tennessee pretty badly. I think the college football playoff would love to get Clemson in there. I'm just not sure that they can put a two-loss team in over a one-loss team. So that that's really the only situation I think where Texas A&M has a shot is if Clemson loses. Interesting. What do you think on that? I think that we're, I'll discuss this more when we get to the Clemson game. I actually think it's more important what happens to Clemson. Like if Texas A&M wins by one point, I don't think that's that big a deal. If Clemson loses in like double overtime, that's going to be a problem for A&M. If Clemson gets blown out, I think A&M is in. Um, Yeah, I agree. But A&M has a bad loss. Like that Alabama loss wasn't close. Yeah, but it's I think it's Alabama though. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but like getting blown out doesn't exactly bode well for it. like you might have to face Alabama again in the college football playoff and you got blown out. So I agree with you. I think the Clemson game would need to be a little more lopsided if Anna needs a shot. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is like if you lose to Notre Dame twice, not only should you not get in, you should disband your program. So like ha, there's there's that aspect of it. I hope the committee's smart enough to not let them in. But that's their choices last week were not great. What I'm sure you, their choices last week were not great. No, no, they're not. Yeah, I mean, the way they're going, Iowa State's going to make it. So they they, they got that. Some... Oh, my God. <laughs> you can't ever put in a Louisiana Lafayette loss into the college football playoff. Highly, highly disturbing. Uh, yes, Brett Bielema to Illinois. Matt was talking about that before the show. Uh, yeah, I tried to call my dad. He didn't answer me. But we live in Wisconsin, so Bielema, very near and dear to my heart. One of the backgrounds on my computer is him shirtless at a Wisconsin bar. Oh, wow. Bielema okay. was a, the talk of the town when he was at Madison, man. I like, I'm, I'm a fan. I'll um, send you the picture. You will yeah, laugh. Yeah, send me the picture. That's what I need in my life here. Send them to the island. That's right. Now, chat, this is why we pay you people the big bucks. Absolutely. Safe zone for them. Buckeyes fan for life. We're about to get to your game, so get ready. We got Northwestern. We've got Ohio State. Big 10 championship. The spread's dropped a little. Ohio State, 18 and a half. That's due to COVID. Uh, you're going to get into it over under 56. All right, let's start with the Wildcats side. They're, they're a scrappy little team. Obviously, Ramsey comes over from Indiana. They get the job done. But for the DFS side, uh, this has not been a really potent offense. What do you do here in a game you know they're going to have to score to keep up? Northwestern's a tough team for me to get to. Their team total is also extremely low. We're talking below 20. The spread here continues to drop. It's down to 19 and a half, but I'm still struggling to see how Northwestern keeps up in this game. Peyton Ramsey for DFS purposes is a guy we liked at Indiana because of raw volume. So Indiana was running a ton of plays. They were passing the ball a lot and Peyton Ramsey could kind of backdoor his way into productive fantasy days. 
through volume, and he is a pretty decent rusher. At Northwestern, he's just not seeing that. The Cats aren't running enough plays. They're not passing the ball enough. And Ramsey's averaging just 174 passing yards per game. So even at a depressed price, Northwestern should have to throw a little more than they have earlier this year. I still think Ramsey's a tough get. Do you have any interest in one-offs in terms of the receivers, McGowan, anybody else? Uh, Or is this just a team that is going to try to, I mean, you know, they're going to try to slow it and stay in the game, but if Ohio state gets up early, I don't know if they'll have a choice. They might have to open it up. I think they will have to open it up. I think we have to consider efficiency here. Like how efficient will this passing attack be? We have seen Ohio state give up some production through the air. Indiana got them. And there are a lot of players on Northwestern that are cheap at the very least. So Ramad Chikayo Bowman, he's very cheap. He's their number one target. He has at least 10 targets in three of his last four games. Doesn't really have a ton of receiving yardage. Most of these are coming within the line of scrimmage due to limitations with Peyton Ramsey, but that's a lot of volume for a run back in an Ohio State stack. Kyrick McGowan, he's their second pass catcher on the team. He's 4,800. I would rather play Bowman over McGowan, just more raw targets, more usage on the field. But I think both are fine at run backs. And then if you're getting really cheap, Riley Lease and their athletic tight end John Rain are near the minimum. We've only done two games, so we'll circle back to these type of questions. But on this slate in particular, do you see the need to go to the flat min uh, in spots? Like, is the opportunity cost not there? Because to me, pricing was very soft when I looked at it. Yeah, I don't think you have to. In the backfield, obviously, it should be a negative game script. Uh, Are you going to try to decipher the Northwestern backfield, or is that just a spot we can kind of cross off the list? I'm not going to be playing a back. They've they've literally given Bowser, Drake Anderson, Cam Porter, and Evan Hall significant work at different portions of the year. So I think it's really hard right now to figure out who is going to receive the back the backfield touches. Yeah, I mean, it seems when you're a twenty point dog on top of it, it seems unnecessary. Um, but is there anything else on this team? Like I said, it. They're a fine team. I just don't really see how they can keep up in a spot like this. And if they stay in the game, I think it'll be because their defense finds a way to slow Ohio State, not that they score with them. If it, if, if it gets high scoring, they're completely dead. Yeah, I, I just don't see how they stop Ohio State. Northwestern hasn't played anybody yet this year, at least on this level. And, I mean, they weren't going to on the Western side of the Big Ten. There just aren't offenses <laughs> like this over there. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Uh, it's it's really bad. On the Ohio State side, so step one, and we've seen it in chat, we appreciate it, and I've seen these things. What what exactly is this? Do you have updates on who's in, who's out? I know they've been dealing with COVID. Obviously, Alave is one of the many. Um, anything else we really need to talk about on that front before we dive in? They've been cryptic on who has COVID, so we don't actually know. We they I saw them say, like, a star player tested positive, for COVID and there's rumors that it's Chris Olave. That's not actually confirmed. So I just watch it. I mean, Garrett Wilson sees the exact same target volume as Olave. Obviously Olave's loss would be big for this offense, but I honestly don't think it's as big as some people might make it out to be. There's five-star recruits at every single position going three and four like depth charts deep on this team. So Olave being out, I don't think is a, a game breaker for me in the betting markets or DFS for fields, anything like that. If he does sit specifically, though, do you think that those targets are distributed among several guys or is there one guy in particular, uh, whether it's Williams or Ruck, like that would slide in and potentially serve as that second fiddle to Wilson? 
So throughout the year, Jamison Williams has been playing more than any other receiver, but he hasn't been targeted like whatsoever. They also have Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's a five-star recruit. He's been playing a decent amount and it has been targeted more than Williams. So I would, I guess, lead tentatively towards Jackson Smith and Jigba. I just think we could probably see him finally eclipse a 50% route share. Again, I think most of it honestly will come through Garrett Wilson, but in three wide sets, you're probably looking at Wilson, Smith and Jigba, and Jamison Williams. If Alave, I'm just going to keep asking questions like this. If he sits, does that make you even more prone to go to Wilson, or do you think that kind of he's going to get his regardless? I think Wilson's fine either way. Okay, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and then obviously to take a step back, we got $9,800 Justin Fields, uh, most expensive guy on the slate who's playing, uh, pour one out for Elijah Moore, but that's neither here nor there. What do you do with him? Do you, is this a starting point that you want him and Wilson? Can you make that work with all the value out there? I think there's better quarterbacks at cheaper prices. Fields doesn't actually project that well. He project like you would play fields because of his ceiling. And I think his ceiling is realized in more competitive games than this, where we see the total a little bit higher in this particular game, the total, I mean, they're playing Northwestern. You weren't going to get a a great total on this game anyway. So it's below 60. There's obviously better games to target in this spot. And because of that, with a price at 9,800 and the stack, I mean, your preferred stack being Garrett Wilson, an enormous price to pay for both of them. I would rather play someone else. I mean, he's live for like cash and stuff like that, of course. But in tournaments, the fields isn't my favorite play, just given the overall game environment. Do you have any interest in... I don't even want to say leveraging against fields, but going to the backfield with either... Teague or, or, or Trey Sermon. Um, we've talked about that situation a lot. The prices have bounced around right now. It's 6,700 to 4,900. Do you think that they may control the game on the ground? Yeah, for sure. And they're near three touchdown favorites. I know it's the line is dropping because of the COVID stuff. Again, that doesn't really worry me. I'm, I bet the game when it was at 20, and I'm going to bet it again after we get off the stream. But with the running backs, it's going to be Teague in sort of a 60, 40, 70, 30 timeshare with Trey Sermon. And at their prices, I think it's pretty appropriate. Teague 6,700, Sermon at 49. That's about where they should be priced for their roles. I do like them in the sense that they bring a lot of upside against Northwestern. Like we could see this game get to a blowout. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way. So I think I'll be mixing in the Ohio State rushers for that reason. Yeah, I mean, and then I do, like I said, I want to talk a little about, so I assume you believe that regardless if Ohio state wins, even if it's ugly, that they are, they are safely in. Yeah. No doubt about it. They're a lock if they win. If they lose, do you think they can make it? I think probably still. Yes, but it's going to be much, much more difficult. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A Northwestern loss is going to be pretty bad. That would really shake up the college football playoff. Like if Ohio State and Clemson lose, which is highly unlikely, then we're going to have just complete chaos. If Ohio State loses, Clemson wins. I think we pretty clearly see Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and then AM has a much, I guess, a better argument to get in there as well. But ultimately, I think it comes down to Ohio State, and they're going to win this game. They are. Um, that would make for extreme chaos, though. Uh, It'd be fun. I, yeah, I mean, I don't care about Ohio State, not going to lie. I do kind of like them, though. Um, all right, moving on. And I, I'm with you, too. If I had to bet this game, I would lay the point. I just don't know that Northwestern has seen anything quite like this. Uh, and in a game where they're not going to take the pressure off, they want to make a statement, kind of feels like they can get out uh, ahead of it. All right, this is probably my favorite game uh, of the day. Ohio, Ohio, not a good start, Ben. Oklahoma and Iowa State, Big 12 championship. Sooners, uh, a slight favorite in the rematch here. They're a six-point favorite over under a 59. These are two teams early in the year. I remember it vividly. Oklahoma was awful. They were one and two. Iowa State lost to Louisiana Lafayette to open the season. Since then, though, they've been fantastic, both of them, uh, riding big wing streaks. I want to start with Oklahoma. Rattler isn't as you know prolific as these other guys, but he's starting to find his groove 24 touchdowns, seven picks. He's been better of late. Uh, what do you make it? We'll start with the Oklahoma offense. You've got him. You've got Weiss. You've got weapons on the outside. Do you think they struggle against Iowa State, or do you think they'll be able to move the ball effectively? I think they'll move the ball just fine. Rattler's been pretty efficient this year. He gives yes. you a little bit on the ground. He's averaging nearly 280 passing yards per game, and that's important because he's only throwing the ball 29 times. So Rattler's displayed pretty good efficiency, kind of the efficiency we've come to expect from Oklahoma signal callers. The problem is who do you stack him with? And it, we're going to get Trajan Bridges back today. He's been suspended the entire year. I have no idea how that shakes up their receiving room. It's already been a mess to target throughout the year. Outside of Theo Weiss and Charleston Rambo, they just run a nasty rotation. And I don't think Bridges' return helps that. No, I mean, when, when this season started, I had a totally different feel I thought that Charleston Rambo was going to be CD lamb Hollywood Brown. Uh, and that just hasn't happened. It's been a lot of bodies there. I, I, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, Rattler's been efficient. I don't think he's going to have a ton of, I'll be honest. I think Iowa state's defense is really good, particularly against the run, but even in the past, uh, I think that both teams are going to struggle. I really like the under in this game under 59 points. I think it crawls. Uh, and we'll talk about that on the other side as well. What do you feel about in the backfield? I mean, there's been guys in and out, obviously Stevenson coming back, muddies the waters. Is it, is it his backfield? And then these other guys take a back seat or is it still a committee in your eyes? It's mostly Stevenson at this point. He's dominated work the last two weeks and he's incredibly involved as a pass catcher, which on DraftKings, of course, gives you a nice floor. So he's had at least four targets in three straight games. He's dwarfed the other running backs and carries. TJ Pledger is really the only one receiving any sort of work at this point, and he's just a handful of carries in back-to-back -back games. Stevenson's also been very efficient. He's averaging nearly 100 yards rushing per game. The matchup isn't great against Ohio State, but they are still favored by nearly a score, so game script sets up for Stevenson. He's involved in every facet of the game. I think he's a fine play. See, Freudian slip, Iowa State, just like me. We got Ohio on the brain. Um <laughs> 
Is there anything? So, uh, all right, before we move to Iowa State, favorite target on Oklahoma, is it Stevenson in the backfield? Yeah. Okay. On the other side, we've got, again, I got to give credit where credit is due. Brock Purdy early in the year, I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't good. He's steady of late. They looked, I'm not saying West Virginia is a world beater, but they looked incredibly crisp, 42 to six, their last game out. They're winners of five or six straight, um, just playing really good. The defense is clicking, obviously, Brees Hall in the backfield. That's where I want to start. He's 8,500. Oklahoma's not exactly known for their defense, but they have been lately. They've been great uh, against the run. Do you think Brees Hall has success in this matchup? I don't know about success, but he's certainly going to see a ton of volume. And Brees Hall is another back similar to Stevenson, where he is a little bit active in the pass game, not, not to the same extent. But we know Brees Hall is just going to be fed as many carries as he can possibly handle in competitive games. We haven't seen many of those recently, but if you go back a couple of games, there are still games on the profile where he carried the ball 31 times. So Brees Hall, he is arguably the most voluminous role on the entire slate. He's averaging well over 100 yards per game, 135 some targets on the year. That's all fantastic. Honestly, though, I would rather play Stevenson as a price point play. And there's a few other backs I have my eye on, I think, that are just better price adjusted plays than Brees Hall. But if you are, you're really set on him, you can't really poke that many holes in his game. Do you worry at all about game script? Do you think even if they got, you know, lost going away that he would still get his work? Yeah, he's not involved in the pass game to the same degree as someone like Ramondre Stevenson. So I am a little bit worried about game script. But I think that's just how Iowa State's offense functions. They're slow. They're run heavy. Brees Hall will be involved either way. Agree. Uh, on the outside, Kohler, Hutchinson, I believe he was a Juco. He's had a nice year for them, but they just don't. I don't know if the volume will be there again. I, I like the under in this game. So I, I think that both teams keep it in the 20s and it, it, it kind of crawls. Do you see any interest in Purdy or these pass catchers? Not too much. I think the game would have to go over the total to have interest in Purdy. He really needs competitive games. He's a decent rusher. He has 310 yards on the year. So I think there is some reason to consider him in GPPs. And where Oklahoma has been beat is through the air this year. So that lends itself more to Purdy than Brees Hall, I suppose, in a tournament sense. Hutchinson, he is a, he is a Juco guy. I believe he won Big 12 new Newcomer of the Year, whatever that award is actually called. But So he's a stacking option at 5,500. Kohler at 47 makes a lot of sense. He's the receiving tight end. He's just volatile. So I think outside of Brees Hall, it would be Purdy, Hutchinson, and Kohler for me, but they're just outside considerations in tournaments. Newcomer of the Year in the it's Big something 12. like that, whatever that award is, I don't know. I was looking at the conference awards this year and Xavier Hutchinson won one. I would love to see the nominee. Yeah. You know, best, best Juco with an X in their name. Yeah. He takes it down. Good, good award (laughs) guys. Um, Yeah. I I just, like I said, this is, it's going to be a competitive game. I didn't bet it. If I had to, I would lean to Iowa state, but it's, it's for me an under or pass Uh, anything else on the DFS side. Are we good to move on? I think we're good. Okay. Before we move on, though, I do want to say a couple different things. One, chat, uh, it's been, obviously 2020 has been a whole craziness, a lot of money, but I will say one of the bright spots for me has been this show. Uh, we didn't have this. We created it from nothing, and it wouldn't have worked if you guys didn't show up each and every week. So I, I, I'm going to speak for you, Matt. Uh, I've had a blast doing it. I hope you have. And, guys, I hope you enjoy watching it. That's a long-winded way also of saying to hit the like button, but more importantly than that, I just wanted to say thanks for the show, we're definitely going to keep it going into bowl season and in college basketball. Uh, a couple other things, though, as you see on the screen, 
NBA is here. Uh, we've got the team ready to go. We've been doing preseason content and we're offering a weekly pass for a dollar with the promo code Caruso. There's obviously no reason to not come in. Even if you don't like it, you've wasted a dollar. You're going to get the projections. You're going to get the tools for that first week of, of regular season. And there is just absolutely no reason to at least give it a shot uh, and see what we're all about behind the paywall. I know Alex and the team are really excited over there. And then the last thing is to hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Uh, I didn't know this was not a thing. You hit it. You hit the notification bell. Uh, it helps you guys out and obviously helps us out as well. We have so many shows, MMA lock. We're doing a full NFL show today. I'll be back at 2.30 breaking down the two-game slate with the fellas. Um, so make sure you hit that subscribe button, support the channel, and, and give thanks for what's been a wild year. But I do want to say it's just been such a fun show each and every Saturday morning from us. All right. I love the Saturday show, man. Yeah. Not We're to play favorites, but it's my favorite one. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's such a fun show and we're gonna maybe get a little hoops after this when, when CFB dies down. Um, hoops has been wild, man. Oh yeah. Zags today. It's going down. Um, this game shouldn't be on the slate. Why Washington state and Utah. I think I legitimately are picking like 70% in college football this year outside of the PAC 12 where I'm a Chris 5%. Um, and now we got <laughs> like, I just USC last night. Now we got this team. Utah is a 10 and a half point favorite in this makeup game uh, over under a 55 and a half. Certainly Washington state is not from Mike Leach, Washington state. We haven't talked about this team though a lot, Matt. So break it down for us, uh, Delora and whatnot. Where, where do they, what kind of offense do they run and what do you see in this game? They run the good old run and shoot. So mm -hmm. it's the, their coach is the former Hawaii head coach. Yeah. Um, so they're going to, it's not too different than what they ran under Mike Leach. There's just a couple subtle differences. They're not passing quite as much, but you're going to see a lot of four wide receivers, stuff like that. And the offense overall, they haven't played a lot of games. They played just three. They've had most of their season canceled due to COVID. Hence we get the makeup game here, but Washington state, their signal callers, Jaden Delora, he is somewhat of a dual threat. It hasn't really been realized this year. He is just 37 yards. He's taken a decent amount of sacks, but he scrambles a lot and they do use him on a couple designed runs a game. So he's not going to give you a zero on the ground. What you would be playing Delora for is just the raw passing volume. He's averaging 34 attempts per game. He's been very inefficient on them, but again, he has a three game sample in his career. So if you think this rebounds for whatever reason, he's basically an unknown commodity at this point. Yeah, it's a tricky team, but I, I do think there is something to the fact that a lot of the teams on the slate, people who have played week in and week out have played and Washington State, unless you're playing night slates or different slates, you may not be too familiar with them. Um, and they've got the big time receivers on the outside. So where does this fall? I, I know it's hard to conceptually grasp, like is Washington state a team that you're looking to stack up or is it more of just maybe one-offs maybe down the secondary options? Yeah. They have good one-offs because they receive a ton of target volume, but they're all priced up. So yeah. you get Bernard Bell, 6,400, Travell Harris, 7,100. That's really interesting because Bernard Bell actually has more raw targets on the year over Travell Harris and he has more receiving yards, but you're just seeing the prices not reflect that. So Bernard Bell is the better price adjusted play based on, an admittedly small sample. And even Jamire Calvin, he's on the field almost every single play. He hasn't been looked at as much in the receiving game, but he has at least six targets in every contest. And again, dealing with an incredibly small sample, Jamir Calvin very well could just see an increased role. I got a guy named Bacon. Um, I love Lucas Bacon. He doesn't play, but... No. 
No, he's in the he's with Aju Aju on Clemson. They got the all name team. Um, what about this Cougar backfield? What do you make of that? Is that a spot to target? The backfield's really difficult today because Max Borgie might actually play. We haven't seen Max Borgie the entire year. And all we really know about Max Borgie, at least to this point from his days with Mike Leach, is that he's a phenomenal pass catcher. He's never really received the voluminous role on the ground. And Deion McIntosh has actually been really good when he's active. So I don't think Max Borgie would come in and just take every single carry from this offense anyway. Like McIntosh is averaging over 100 yards per game on just 15.3 opportunities, which is incredible efficiency. If Borgie doesn't play, I think McIntosh is a fine target. Agree. The Borgie thing is weird. I kind of forgot about him just because we haven't seen him. And he was in college football, as you guys know, there's not that many like true pass catching, but he was a true pass catching back last year. Like it was insane. The volume he was putting up in that offense on the other side, you've got Utah who, again, these teams are just frustrating. Uh, they got the South Carolina guy who's been there forever. That guy never graduates in Bentley. I, it's crazy, but this is not a high powered offense. Uh, 55 and a half total. They are favorite. So maybe they keep it on the ground. What do you make of the Utah side of things? Jake Bentley's not exciting. He's averaging just 182 yards per game. Gives you a little bit on the ground, but low total here. And when Utah plays from ahead, they like to run. So I'm not sure Bentley's a great target in DFS. In the backfield, they had Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore transfer out of the program, which is basically condensing the backfield down to just Ty Jordan, who's 7K. He's one of the running backs I would prefer to target over someone like Brees Hall because the volume isn't that much different. So you get like maybe 85% of what Brees Hall offers you in Ty Jordan, and you save $1,500. Now, that doesn't sound like it might be that much on this slate because we have so much value, but we're also getting a guy with a 33 implied team total. He's favored at home, and the matchup is fine. So Ty Jordan stands out to me. He's also very active as a pass catcher. He has 12 targets already this year. And again, it's an abbreviated season, so 12 targets might not sound like a lot, but Utah hasn't really played any games. So Ty Jordan really stands out to me. And outside of him, if you're looking at pass catchers, Brant Cuthy and Britton Covey are the two guys I would look at most. Cuthy is the tight end. Covey is kind of their do-it-all receiver. He'll get carries out of the backfield occasionally. They're the top plays. Yeah, Ty Jordan, flat seven. I'll throw my support behind that. Just getting the work. Washington State, uh, 4.6 yards allowed per attempt, 81st in the country. You know, that's not awful, but it's not great. and they are, it's perfect game script for him too. They should win this game. They should be leaning on him. And Utah at heart kind of wants to run the ball. You mentioned Bentley. I I don't see any scenario where he's really in play and, and slinging it. Uh, just not going to happen in a game like this. Anything else on this Pac-12 game? I don't think so. The pass catchers on Washington State are the most interesting players in the game to me. And Ty Jordan, someone I will have some up today. There you go. Not betting this game either. Are you betting it? No. The only game I bet that we talked about so far is Ohio State, I think. Yeah, for me, I bet the under in Iowa State uh, of the four that we've talked about. The game we just talked about, though, not going to make the card. All right, here we go. Going to the South, SEC country, Mississippi and LSU. Ole Miss, one-point favorite, 74-and-a-half. Um. LSU, I mean, I don't understand how they won last week. Uh, that was just stupid. The guy threw a shoe. That was a whole whole ordeal, but we'll get to the, them in a second. 
First of all, let's talk about Ole Miss. Um, Obviously, the big news is Elijah Moore has opted out. He was one of, if not the best, you know, DFS player in the country. That's a huge loss. So where where do the Rebels stand right now? Um, How do we order their playmakers in a game that obviously want to target? Yeah, so the game obviously has a favorable environment for everyone involved. It's a very close game, too, so it should be competitive. Corral has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks this entire season. He is just about 31 and a half attempts per game, but he's averaging 343 yards. He's incredible as a rusher. Already has 300 yards on the ground. Scrambles a ton, doesn't take a lot of sacks, so you can't say enough good things about Corral. Does this continue without Elijah Moore, who's essentially receiving every single target? So Elijah Moore has 101 targets this year. The next closest player to him is Jonathan Mingo at 37. So this is going to have really interesting ramifications for ramifications for the entire offense. They also lost Kenny Yoboa. He opted out their athletic receiving tight end going to the NFL. In three wide sets, you should see Mingo, Dontario Drummond, and Braylon Sanders. But how they configure their offense around these three is a complete mystery. None of them have played in the slot this year. Elijah Moore was a slot-only receiver. He essentially handled every single slot route. Behind him, Mingo, Drummond, and Sanders, they all are below 50 in slot routes this year. So I don't know who's going to play the slot right now, and I think it's a complete guessing game. But those are your three receivers that will be on the field. They are all under 4,400, and this is probably the best value on the entire slate. It's just a matter of who do you think gets the volume between them which is another conversation by itself. I tentatively lean Mingo's way because he'd already been on the field every single snap when he's active, but I don't feel strongly about it. He's also the cheapest. So like your paths to victory are slightly wider. Um, if I assume that you would be comfortable if you're going to play Corral with two of these guys, I mean, you're still sub 8K total for them. My question is, do you have any lineups or any interest in playing all three? You could honestly play all three. So we saw this win a tournament last year. It was a very similar situation where I I can't remember. I think it was Bonds that was out. So Keaton Slovis, obviously, was was his first season starting last year. And then you had Drake London near the minimum coming in and playing, and all the other receivers were around 5K. So someone actually stacked all three receivers with Keaton Slovis. I know Keaton Slovis looked terrible last night, but this won a tournament last year, like the big DraftKings tournament. Because of their prices, I think you could do it. I still think... You're probably likely best off stacking two at the most. But I mean, in tournaments and in the big DraftKings tournament today, stuff like that does win on occasion. Slovis last night, man. That yeah, was not good, man. It, no, no, it wasn't on various levels. Uh, the big thing to me is that if you if you played all three of them, it's just north of $12,000 in receivers. That's it's nothing. Like, it's like less than stacking... Fields and Wilson. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not that big of opportunity cost. I think the optimal route, if you're playing crowd, would probably be two. Some, you know, but you could do it. There's no doubt. Clearly, if you do do that, though. um, Well, actually, before I do that, do you? What do you think this does to Ely in the backfield? Anything? I think his role is pretty secure. LSU's defense hasn't been great, and they've especially been beat up against the pass. But they've been modest against the run as well. They're allowing over 150 rushing yards. Ely has very consistent volume, so I think he's in play at 7,300. I like other running backs a little more, but if you just want an access point to the immense game environment, Ely's probably going to be the best leverage play in the game with everyone trying to get to the Ole Miss receivers. Do you have any interest in being against the green 
in terms of the stacks with Corral, Ely, and one of them? I think you could do that in this contest, not only because not the total's immense, 75 points, 74 and a half at some places, but your price points are very low outside of like, just because you have the cheap receivers, you can kind of mix and match Ely and Corral if you want and get access to the best scoring environment on the entire slate. I think that if if you're talking about trying to win a large field tournament, you have enough teams and you're willing to roll the dice. I like the concept of putting Ely in there just because if you take the, if you take the ownership of someone like Mingo and then you take the ownership of teams that have Mingo and Ely, it's a super subset of that. So if they both explode, you're going to be leveraging within the best game environment. You've talked about this a lot with North Carolina where Howell, he doesn't exactly correlate, but if there's 10 touchdowns for this offense, they all can get there. Even if it's not Corral throwing it to Ely, he could have three on the ground. Corral could have four in the air uh, and everyone gets there and you have a weird combination. That's really effective. Yeah, you do for sure. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, that's right. Um, now when Ely has seven yards, uh, it will make me look like an idiot, but that's all right. On the other side, like I said, LSU, I, I guess props. I don't really understand what happened last week. They've been a walking disaster all year. They tried the old, like, we're going to ban ourselves from the postseason. That's real bold when you're like three and five. Um, where does this offense stand right now? Obviously, they're going to need to put up points to win this game. That was a beautiful, subtle shot at, I mean, at Orgeron. And the, I mean, you know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> um, so they're going to run out Max Johnson. He was banged up earlier in the week, but he played really well in his first start. Obviously, they won the game. Shoe throwing aside, LSU looked pretty good doing that. He wasn't really throwing the ball much downfield, but I think just the positive performance he showed should give him a longer leash. He completed 21 of 36 passes, three scores. He also carried the ball 18 times. 52 yards, so he wasn't exactly efficient as a runner, but anytime you see 18 carries, that's going to give you efficiency, or at least upside for it, any 6,700. Ole Miss's defense has been pitiful, so I think Max Johnson, not only does he get it done through the air, but as a rusher too, he's a pretty good target if you're looking for a punt play at quarterback, so I like him a decent amount today. Yeah, I I was a little surprised to see that rushing volume. I'm not saying we're going to get that, but it's nice to know it's potentially there. Uh, when you look on the outside, you've got booty. Um, we've seen obviously Arik Gilbert has, has opted out. Um, where are the targets in terms of pecking order here? Is, is it booty at 57, your priority, or, or do you look to even cheaper options? He's the priority. He's the most targeted receiver of the group. If you need to go cheaper, you could go to Jerry Jenkins and Coy Moore. They're the other two running the most routes and they've seen a good amount of targets themselves. It's crazy, though. You know, I can't really remember a game where the total is 75. It's incredibly competitive. You know, it's basically a pick them. But all the primary options are very reasonably priced. Like you can fully game stack this no problem because of how cheap all the particularly the receivers are. Yeah, easy. And it's a really good game environment to game stack. This is there's going to be immense ownership in this game. Yeah, that's why I think you have to look to some weird stacks within the game because there's going to be so many people doing what you're doing if you're just going very vanilla uh, on the runbacks and whatnot. Do you have any interest in the LSU backfield? Who's even left? They don't have Tyrion Davis-Price. John Emery's banged up, and that left Chris Curry to handle 17 carries last week. He's been horribly inefficient this year, but if he sees most of the work, I think there should be definite interest here. 
Ole Miss is allowing over 215 rushing yards per game. And Curry had some spots last year where he did pop up for some productive games. So it's definitely in the realm of possibility. And he's just another access point, a cheap access point to a phenomenal game environment. So in this game, uh, when you're talking about lineup construction, because I think we can dig into this even deeper, do you have interest in double stacking with both QBs? That is so in good game environments like this, I think you can certainly do that. And not only is the game environment fantastic, but like with just the Ole Miss side, everything lines up price-wise where you could easily stack Corral and Johnson. Johnson's cheap, and it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and the primary pass catchers are cheap. Like, you can one-off game. This game, you could realistically stack it and then one-off with, like, Garrett Wilson. Um, it's kind of crazy. Like, you you may have room pending you have a, a wide receiver slot available uh, or a flex, but... This is one clearly you're going to want some exposure. I think it's more about the lineup construction side. And we'll try to circle back to that at the end chat. If you've got specific questions on that, but I do want to make sure we get through some of these bozo games, which we're about to get to. We got Mizzou, Mississippi state, Missouri, one point favorite as well over under a 49. So clearly not the same environment that we just talked about. Uh, There are some plays though. I'm not going to mess around or, well, I guess I should ask you, do you have any interest in the Missouri quarterback? He does have a decent amount of volume, 32 attempts per game, three, 240 yards. It's fine, but he doesn't really do much on the ground. So I don't have a ton of interest in him overall. I would rather just play Will Rogers on the other side or a different cheap signal caller. The one guy I want to ask you about specifically though, in Missouri is similar in price to Ty Jordan and it's round tree. Um, he also gets crazy work. It's a competitive game. It's not like Utah where they're a 10 and a half point favorite or anything like that. But where do you, where do you have him in these upper mid range running back ranks? I think he's a fine play. I don't like the overall game environment here for, for Roundtree. I would rather play someone like Jordan, who's a little bit, I would guess just slightly more expensive, but I'm more confident in his volume. The spread here is one and a half. So I, I actually bet Missouri in this game. I like him to win. But the problem with Roundtree is you see his workload given directly to Tyler Beatty in negative game script. Tyler Beatty is their preferred pass catcher. And while it's probably not a huge concern in this contest against Mississippi State, it is a concern. And Ty Jordan doesn't have that concern. So that would just put Jordan a little bit ahead of Roundtree for me. Ultimately, if you think Missouri wins this game, Roundtree has an amazing workload in positive game script. So he's a good GPP play to me. Yeah, you just mentioned it. I mean, he has... Upwards, <laughs> I mean, against Kentucky, he had the old 37 carries. Uh, okay. Um, but no, you you 20-plus easily if they win this game seems like almost the floor in terms of carries. On the outside, there, there are mid-range guys from Missouri. The problem is you're comparing them against the guys we just talked about in a game environment that is incredibly good. So do you have any room for Chisholm, Hazleton, any, anyone like Dove? Uh, to me, it would be no. I don't think so. It's for the reasons we've talked about the 50 point total is not great. We don't really like bass like in stack. So even in one-off situations, I'm probably just going to play an old miss or an LSU receiver. That's what I'm saying. You're, you're yes, you would leverage with ownership, but to me, I would rather leverage within the, in the game uh, that has a 75 point total than just one-offing going to someone like Hazleton in a game like this. I, I, I don't think that's the answer. Uh, on the other side, you already mentioned Will Rogers. He's 6,200. Talk about volume. Um, he's going to get his chance. 
where do you put him with his probably 50 passing attempts? That's the, the crazy thing with Will Rogers. He always projects well because he throws the ball 50 times. So it's, it's really hard in projections to get him south of 300 passing yards. Just even with his terrible efficiency, he just projections are going to put him there. So as a price adjusted play, if he plays to the median outcome, he's going to be a fantastic price adjusted play. It's just, he's been volatile this year. So he's been on the slate at a cheap price and played really well. And then we've seen him just play egregiously bad. There is a lot of variance to Will Rogers game. I will be playing him in tournaments for this reason, really cheap volume. But I think given the other options we have, particularly in the LSU game, you don't need to get to someone like Will Rogers. No, well said. And yeah, I mean, that volume is always appealing. I'm not in love with it. I, I drop something every show. It's really unbelievable. Um, on the outside with him, so if you do go there, or even if you don't, I mean, do you have reasonable one-offs with these Mississippi State pass catchers? Obviously, that type of passing volume translates into plenty of targets to go around from Whaley to Osiris Mitchell uh, and, and the rest of these guys. Yeah, you basically just hit the top two. Those are the guys I would look to get. Whaley's expensive this slate, though. 5900 is a lot to pay for him. I think you can get good target volume from Mitchell, Malik Heath, and Austin Williams at a fraction of the price. I don't know that I'll be getting to Whaley, especially with reasonable target volume in other games. Yeah, I mean, I think that's more, would you, eh, I mean, 59, that's a little cheaper, honestly. I thought he was more towards like Harris and those guys from Washington. Would you rather have like Renard Bell or Whaley? I would rather play Renard Bell. What about Booty? I would rather play Booty. Same. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's just about prioritizing. Obviously, you know, the ownership will tell a tale in some regard as well, but these are reasonable plays. Anything else for Mississippi State? Uh, The backfield, is that something, you know, Dylan Johnson and co worth discussing? I don't think so. They split directly down the middle. They don't run the ball a lot. Their target shares are fine, but you also have to consider their targets aren't coming downfield. So when you see like, a Dylan Johnson five target game, they're all right around the line of scrimmage. So he's not giving you the same upside as even like a Whaley or a receiver in the offense. They're great, but I think it lends itself more to these median play outcomes rather than like a ceiling outcome that we'll probably see from another back. What did this is a totally random question? Obviously, I know it's a, a weird season. What have you thought about Mike Leach's, you know, SEC debut? Anything? Well, I think he needs to get his recruits in there because clearly the previous regime's recruits did not like him. And mm-hmm. clearly with Kylan Hill opting out, like there were some transfers that had transferred into the program and they immediately left and just a rocky start. But I think once he can recruit his guys, it'll be a little bit better. It's been interesting if nothing else. Um, all right. We got three games left in many people's eyes. This is the game. I don't know if, It's the best one for DFS purposes, but we're going to spend some time on it. No doubt about it. It is your boys, Clemson and Notre Dame for the ACC championship playoff implications. Sitting at 10 right now, Clemson 10-point favorite over under pretty standard 59 and a half. Uh, We've talked about fields. If you don't use him and you want to pay up at quarterback, obviously Trevor Lawrence is going to be in that discussion. He is 8,700 been the same story all year you've talked about it the guys on the outside someone explodes more that's more so when they're like 50 point favorites though so in a game like this that'll be competitive where does Clemson go do they lean on Lawrence and Rogers and Powell 
Do they lean on ETN? Uh, how do you prioritize these fantastic plays on Clemson? Yeah, it's a little bit different than a typical Clemson slate. Instead of relying on efficiency, now we can rely a little bit on volume. We should see more playing time for ETN, Rogers, Powell, everyone who starts, basically. Given that this game is projected to be competitive, of course, it could always, game script doesn't always play out the way Vegas and bookmakers projected to, but still, in this contest, you should see Trevor Lawrence with more than his average 31 and a half pass attempts per game. Even on that volume, he's still averaging over 300 yards. This is a tough matchup against Notre Dame, but that's still very good for Trevor Lawrence just from a volume perspective. Same goes for ETN. He's generally above 20 touches in competitive games, and they'll scale back his workload in blowouts. And ETN is one of the premier pass-catching backs in the country. We talked before the show, senior backs, typically that's a terrible move for, for the running back position. Seniors coming back to school generally do not increase their equity in the draft. ETN, I think, is one exception to that because he really displayed his pass-catching ability this year, and he's third overall on the team in targets. If he can't even get it done on the ground, he has another avenue to success through the air. So ETN is a very strong play to me. I'll be playing him in cash games because they're still 10 and a half point favorites. And people are going to look at this Notre Dame matchup and think that they just have the teeth of their defense set there. But ETN's volume is going to be phenomenal today. I mean, he's one of the only people that has, not that he's going to do this, but he legitimately could have two 100 yard bonuses. Like he, he is a serious threat to have 100 yards receiving in any game. Um, price is reasonable, fantastic player. Do you have any interest in pairing him with Lawrence? I don't think a lot of people are going to do that. I don't have a ton of interest in it. The total here is 60, which is moderate, but I would rather do this in the Ole Miss game. Yeah, fair. Um, looking back to Lawrence for a second, what do you do then if you want to play him? Is it Powell and Rogers? Is it one over the other? Is there any cheap guys that you pair with him? How do you prioritize the the stacking options with a guy like Trevor Lawrence? Rogers is their wide receiver one, even though they price Powell slightly ahead of him. Interestingly, I'm not sure why this is because even in their last four games, Rogers still has more targets than Powell, but you can still play Powell for like a GPP consideration. Ultimately, Rogers is the better play, but we're going to get the return of Frank Ladson today. And he hasn't played in multiple games, but he was functioning as that third wide receiver prior to the injury. That should put him ahead of EJ Williams, in my opinion, but I don't feel strongly about that. I wouldn't be surprised if they rotate, but Ladson is a dart throw that might be worth taking a look at. Wow, I just, I scroll all the way to the bottom. I forgot about, I honestly forgot about Justin Ross. God, when he. I'm so sad. Yeah, I know. If they had him. Um, the problem I have with Ladson is just more the same trap. I know I keep saying it. You have four or five guys around 4K in these other game environments that are just so much more appealing. So it's it's a little tricky there in that sense. But obviously, I, I get where you're going. Is there really anyone else on Clemson to talk about? I mean, they're, when, when they have to play, and clearly here they do, it's a pretty condensed offense, in my opinion. They're not going to see uh, a lot of randos popping up. Yeah, I'm with you. I like Lawrence, Etienne, Amari Rogers, and Powell are my favorite guys. And I'm not going to be playing much else out of that. Maybe a splash of lads in here, too, in a tournament. So we got a little news. Eric Gray is out. Um, does that do anything in terms of Ty makes, Chandler for you? I'm, it makes him a decent play, but you're still talking about a huge underdog against in a good A&M defense. Yeah. Chandler's 4,300, so he's like, you're probably deciding between him and an LSU back or something of that nature. So he is in play now for sure. And then it looks, you know, Alave, it's 
I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't have Twitter up. I don't know if it's official, but it seems like he's going to miss. We've already talked kind of about that. Uh, I think, honestly, in chat, Buckeyes fans said it. it it's a lot of dart throws, and it's going to be, to me, more condensed between the big names that we already know about. Yeah, Olave is going to be out. There's some rumors that Jackson Smith and Jigba is also out, but literally these are rumors. I'm getting some DMs about it, people asking me if he's out because it's kind of a buzz around right now, but that has not been confirmed. Are your DMs open? My DMs are always open, yeah. Oh, there's another one there. What are you, nuts? Dude, I'm uh, a man of the people. You are a man of the people, and, and give the man of the people a follow on Twitter. Uh you can give me a follow on Twitter too. Unfortunately, my DMs are not open, but I always respond. Uh, so I'm, I'm a, you tweet at me, you will get a response, but I, no one's sliding into these DMs. Um, do you get do you get like shady shenanigans in there? No, people are really nice to me in DMs. Uh, thank you for everyone that has DM'd me and said kind words. I appreciate you, but no, I don't, I don't get shady DMs. See, watch. Chat, you heard it here first. What's going to end up happening now? I'm it doesn't mean up... start giving me shady DMs. I would no, appreciate it if I'm you did. No, I'm going to open my DMs now, and I'm just going to get all weird stuff. No one's going to be nice, but that's good. Man of the people, I respect that. Ben, people are going to be happy, and they're going to be very appreciative and be very kind to you in your DMs. I know it. All right. Well, it's the holiday season. Like I said, we appreciate it. Uh, you can be kind to me by hitting the like button and subscribing to the channel. As I said, hitting the notification bell helps you, helps us. Because uh, we're in the giving mood. As you can see with the $1 promo, Caruso, get into the NBA. It's a no-brainer. It really is. Um, but that's neither here or there. Emac telling the people what they need to know right there. I love it. Julian Fleming. Um, all right. So yeah, someone asked about Ohio State if Jackson Smith and Jigba's out too, which again is a rumor. We do not have this information. Do you want to circle back to that? Sure. All right. Let me I pull mean, up Ohio State. Yeah, we, we can we got some time and we'll go we'll go right back to Notre Dame, obviously. But say say they're both out. Where does it is it Rucker? Is He's it a tight end? Is it Fleming? Is it Williams? Um yeah, so if so, this is assuming Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba are out. Their three wide receiver set would be Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, and Jamison Williams. They will probably rotate a little bit, but that would be their primary three wide receiver set. Fleming and Jamison Williams are 3K and 3.1K, respectively. Yeah, I, I, listen, the more value that opens up, it's just going to be. I mean, you have so many pay down options at receiver. I do think an interesting build somehow would be paying up at receiver and punting with running back. No one's gonna really going to do that. I think the build is going to be pay up at running back, pay up at quarterback, and punt with the old Miss and LSU receivers. I think so too. All right, let's get back to Notre Dame. Um, credit where credit is due. They're a good team, even though I can't stand them. They do what they do. The problem is for DFS purposes is that Ian Book is just not playable, um, in my mind at least. Maybe you have something more. He has been running more than I kind of anticipated, but just 15 touchdowns, two picks on the year through the air. I mean, uh, maybe I'm wrong. 7,900, do you have any interest in Ian Book? Not really. Ian Book, he's similar to like a Brock Purdy and how he's used. It's a run-heavy team, so Ian Book never really has these voluminous passing games. When he does, it's because Notre Dame's in negative game script or competitive game script. We saw this last time against Clemson, but they're few and far between. If it happens, Ian Book, I think, is appropriately priced at 7,900, but that's assuming that they're in competitive game. Now, he's very good as a rusher, 465 yards there. So Ian Book, I think, is a middling play in GPPs. There's a guys, guys a couple, 
a little bit cheaper that I like more than book, but I think you can get to him. He's just not a preferred play for me. If you did play him, um, would it be McKinley, Skournick? What would you do in terms of lineup construction? They're still tough to target because even with their target shares, it's not condensed. They're not throwing the ball a ton. McKinley is their wide receiver one, but you have to pay for him 6,300. Skowronic is just behind him in targets, and he's 5,600. Honestly, if I'm paying for a Notre Dame pass catcher, I'm just going to go all the way down to their freshman tight end, Michael Mayer, who in the last three games has 5.3 targets, which is within two targets of McKinley and Skowronic, but you're taking a huge price discount at 3,800 for him. So that'd be the way I prefer to play it. He had a big game against Clemson the first time. Uh, the baby Gronk kind of saved them in some spots. I don't really like targeting this offense. I do believe Clemson is going to be ready. Is it, though, uh, Kyron Williams in the backfield potentially to handle a major workload, especially if, I mean, they're a sizable dog, but it's not to say that Notre Dame can't win this game. Yeah, Kyron Williams, he has usage similar to to Travis Etienne. So they will take their foot off the gas when they're in really positive game script. And we'll see Kyron Williams with a reduced workload when they're competitive. Kyron Williams is handling a monstrous opportunity share on the year. He's averaging 21.2 touches per game over hundred yards, incredibly active as a receiver. He has a 12% target share in the offense. And for reference, that is egregiously high. Kyron Williams is very active as a pass catcher too. So even in negative game script, you can bet that Kyron Williams will be receiving work. Oh, yeah, he's going to get work. I just don't know exactly. When you're looking at 7,500, there's just a lot of backs up there. I mean, you're talking about him or Ely, him or Spiller, him or Jordan, him or Stevenson, him or ETN. Almost every guy I mentioned, I think I have ahead of him, to be honest. Yeah, I think that um, makes sense. And that's the tricky part. Now, I do want to ask real quick, is there any situation where Notre Dame doesn't make the playoff? Honestly, I think they'd have to get blown out pretty badly because they already have that win and they're going to be sitting with one loss regardless. So I think they would have to get just steamrolled for it to be a conversation. What do you think? I don't think that they can't. At this point, I don't see a, a way that they can't make it. Um, it would have to take an, a biblical beatdown. Uh, I don't know if that's really going to happen. If Florida was still in there, there would have been there would have been realistic scenarios, but I don't I don't think that's the case. And I do respect the open DMs. Um, I think that's awesome, and I may join the club. But we just got forget. inactives for Ohio State: Chris okay, Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. A couple linemen, a lot of defenders, Steel Chambers. So we we are down Jackson Jackson Smith in Jigba and Chris Olave. I will say this: if you're going to bet Ohio State, wait. Um, the spread is probably going to continue to drop. I, I may if this crosses, I don't think it will. If it dips under 17, I'm absolutely going to bet them. Though I don't think this matters that much, to be honest. I already bet them, and I'm going to bet them okay. again. There you go. I may I may come aboard. Um, yeah, listen, Notre Dame and Clemson is going to be a, a big time game. I don't think it's the best DFS game. I think Clemson wins. I'm not going to bet them, though. I don't love laying 10. We'll see what Notre Dame's made of. Uh, this is why the DMs are open, man. Some, I don't even have to search for this stuff sometimes. People just give it to me. I'm going to do a social experiment. I'm going to open my DMs. So all the normal people that watch this show, feel free to DM me because uh, you're good people. Jordan, let's get into his DMs. Yeah, great. Great. You see what you've done? Um, all right. 
Minute two games left. Minnesota again and Wisco. Wisconsin 12 point favorite over under a 47. Once again last week, uh, the one of the good things that I did was just bet Iowa because Wisconsin has no offense whatsoever. They are awful. It's just a broken team. The difference though this week is that they aren't playing a team like Iowa. Minnesota is allowing 6.6 yards per rushing attempt. That's 130th in the country. There is only 130 teams. They're ahead of UMass, who's 129th. That's very bad, I can tell you firsthand. So I I guess I want to start with the home team for a change. Do you think the matchup being so good on the ground actually puts someone in play from this anemic offense? It looks like Berger is going to miss this game. He's not on the depth chart, which isn't exactly set in stone. College depth charts don't mean a ton, but it doesn't look like we'll have Berger and Nikia Watson's 3,600. So, I mean, just for as far as pure punt plays goes, Nikia Watson's up there. We know Wisconsin's going to run the ball incessantly, even if they're playing from behind. So Nikia Watson, he hasn't been efficient. He's actually really bad this year, but he's receiving all essentially all of the work outside of a couple of fullback dives and Garrett Groshek, like they use Garrett Groshek in the weirdest way. So he's not going to see a voluminous role anyway. Nikia Watson's a good punt. Yeah, and he's a punt at running back, which is not nearly as prevalent as we have at receiver today. So it is a different way to build. It's still an awful offense, though. I can't stress enough how bad it's been in recent weeks. I've been picking on them in the betting market. I'm not nearly as prone to do that with Minnesota because I don't like their team. Uh, What do you make of them? Obviously, Wisconsin, they still have a top-end defense. I mean, Ibrahim... (laughs) nine thousand dollars do you think first of all do you think anybody's gonna play him yes i think people will because they're gonna see this volume and i don't think they should he's also hurt right now not hurt enough probably to miss the game but you see his role was reduced in the last game he had to routinely come off the field to work with trainers they're saying it's a pectoral injury with ibrahim so i don't know if this continues to affect him and he doesn't see 30 touches he's gonna tank your lineup I just can't, I cannot justify paying that type of premium for him in this type of matchup. Uh, anything else though, Tanner Morgan, Ottoman Bell, um, no. obviously Bateman's gone. Is, is there anything? No. Okay. There's not. There's not. It's not a good game. I, if you told me that you want to just continue to pound and short Wisconsin, I mean, it worked with Indiana, it worked with Iowa. I wouldn't fault anyone, but just keep in mind that uh, even as bad as they are, I, I do expect them to move the ball a little better than they have been. Um, all right, final game here, and then we'll take some questions. We'll bounce on out of here, but don't go anywhere. We got all sorts of shows today uh, coming up. We've got final looks. We've got a live before lock and a, and a deeper dive breaking down the two-game NFL slate. I'll be on at 2.30, and we'll be leading you all the way up. Um, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But we get the Mountain West Championship, Boise State, six and a half point favorite, over under 56 and a half. We haven't seen these teams a bunch either, Matt. So we got Boise, Bachmeyer, uh, some guys on the outside. What do you make of this offense? This offense is actually pretty good. It's not one we've seen really at full capacity this year, not only because of the limited schedule, but because of quarterback injuries. Bachmeyer missed some time, but he's back now. He's fairly efficient. He's not really live to give you a 300-yard bonus, but I think he's good enough to get some of his pass catchers in, 
ancillary players into at least consideration. Bachmeyer has won 300 yard passing game in his career and was in his very first game of his career. And it came against Florida state. So I'm not really interested in Bachmeyer much as a signal caller. He's a negative on the ground, but Khalil Shakir, he's like an Elijah Moore West. He receives almost every single target for this team. So just based on volume alone, Khalil Shakir is someone to look at, not to mention they use him a lot as a running back. He's handled 8% of their carries which is like three or four carries a game. Yeah, no, he, he is, uh, got some gadget to him. Definitely integrated. I, 8,200 is pricey, but I, I get it. Um, anything for the Broncos backfield, Talani Van Buren. This has been a backfield that's worthwhile. Van Buren is receiving an enormous workload. It is because, Hank, excuse me, George Halani has been hurt this year and he came back in their last game and it aggravated the injury. So I still think we're going to see Van Buren in an enormous role. It's a tough matchup against San Jose state. Don't discount them. They're a very good team. They are. Uh, I, I think if you told people rank the, or name the undefeated teams in college football, I'm not sure many people would get this. I barely knew. And they've got Starkel, I believe that's the old Texas A&M guy. Yeah. Um, 6,400. What, what type of offense do you expect here? Is it one to look to in in terms of a traditional stack? How how do you think they try to attack Boise state? Boise state's defense is good, but they've been more giving against ground attacks. Starkle is not that he's a negative rusher on the year and he is platooned with Nick Nash. Nick Nash doesn't really throw the ball when he comes in. They just run like gadgety triple option quarterback read type stuff. And I don't know why they continue to do this. It hasn't really worked, but I don't think Starkle plays every single snap for that reason. That also makes him hard to play in tournaments. Outside of Nash, you are seeing a split backfield between Tyler Nevins and Kyrie Robinson. Both are middling in price, and I think there's just better plays overall on the slate. In the receiving room, Trey Walker got banged up at the end of the last game, and I couldn't find any injury information on him, so I assume he's going to play. He sees almost the exact same volume as Bailey Gaither, and he's about 2K less. So Trey Walker would be my preferred play. But Bailey Gaither, Trey Walker are good. Derek Deese, the tight end, he's also a good play. And so favorite favorite target from this game, to just sum it up quickly? Van Buren. Van Buren? Yeah, for Boise. Okay. Um, you have any interest in betting the game? I do not have a bet in this game. I'll tell you my bets today. They are, I have Ohio state and I'm going to take them again. I have Missouri. I have Ole Miss and I have Tulsa. No respect. Tulsa's really good, but so is Cincinnati. I took um, Tulsa on like Sunday last week when they were minus 50 or plus 15 and a half. And it's moved a couple points in my favor. So I'm okay with it. I got the under in Iowa state. I'm going to end up betting Ohio state. Jump in premium slack. I'm going to have college basketball bets for sure. Uh, that has been one of the bright spots. We're going to keep it rolling. All right, a couple questions, and then we're going to bounce on out of here. Chat, like I said, always a fun show. We're going to keep it going. You have ideas. You can uh, message me and Matt about what you want to see this show going forward. We're going to be doing things for bowl season. We're going to be doing things for college basketball. Uh, you're not going to get rid of us that easy. As long as we can keep uh, Matt interested, keep, uh, what do you say, keep the show going into CBB season? Yeah, man, I love CBB. Been grinding it hard on the weekdays. It's been fun. It's been great. All right. Rank Booty, Whaley, and Bell for Booty one, Bell two, Whaley three. Booty one. I would agree. Um, Booty is just so appealing because it's the game environment. Um, And that's just 
very, very, very hard to overcome. Uh, one loss Notre Dame gets in over one loss Texas A&M. Yes, so do I, unfortunately. Cash running backs besides ETN. All right. Ty Jordan stands out. He is a very good projection. If you're going all the way down, Chris Curry stands out for LSU. Watson's going to project a little bit better now because of the absence of Berger. And if you're paying off at the top, ETN stands out as the best overall price adjusted play for me. Those are the guys I'm considering mostly. You could take a longer look at Ty Chandler now as well. Ty, yeah. God, Ty <laughs> What a world um, against that team. Wow, that would be interesting. So this is a random question. Do you think there's any chance that Clemson and Notre Dame play for a third time in the semifinals? Or you think they'll no try chance. to avoid that? No, whatever the playoff committee does, they are not going to allow that to happen. I agree. I would love to see that. I don't think they were, will allow that, though. There's no um, way they allow it. Um, God, that'd be so sweet. Yeah, Bama, Notre Dame. All right, I think we've got it. Good work here, chat. Like I said, uh, really fun times each and every week. We appreciate the support you guys hitting that like button and subscribing to the channel. It really does help us. And and we, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe that it helped you guys. We have so many shows on this. You'll get those notifications and learn when we go live. And we'll be doing that in a couple hours. Like I said, football is here. We got the Broncos, the Bills, the Packers, the Panthers, um, Clemson, Notre Dame to hit the over. I think it probably goes under, but I, I, I tend to shy to the over in games like that. Um, not a strong take though. Any final thoughts here on the Saturday morning? I don't think so. Just play your value. Play your value. value You did it. On that note, we're going to bounce on out of here. Thanks to Jordan Klein behind the glass. As always, good luck, everyone. Rest up. Put those lineups in. I'll see you guys in a couple hours for some NFL talk. Oh, wow. Bringing those Christmas beats.